Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our kids are our kids, even if they weren't genetically related to either of us. It makes no difference. I don't see them in any way, any less my children, because they don't have my, my genes. We know it's wrong that our family isn't considered as valid as any other family. And we've just always known that we would continue fighting until all families are treated the same. And I know that that will happen one day. It's just been a very long road and I'm sure we still have a lot left to fight for. Hello, hello. Welcome to all of you lovely, wonderful, fabulous listeners. I am Lottie Jeffs. And I am Stu Oakley. And you are listening to Some Families. Now, we just want to take this opportunity at the the top of this episode to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who I don't think we give enough credit to for being just the most wonderful supporters of this podcast. We are now regularly in the top of the parenting charts on Apple and that is down to you all listening and sharing and leaving your comments and leaving reviews and if you haven't, then please do because it really helps our little queer voices in this family parenting space get noticed. So thank you so much. It really helps Stu and I's thirst for self-validation. And oh yes, that of course, that, that love. as well. <laughs> so please do us a favour and leave us a comment, a good one. <laughs> Stu, how are you? What's What's been going on? I've been good. The sun is out we, I feel we are crawling into summer now, and I feel very, very happy about that. I have a funny story, actually, that I wanted mostly to share with the listener, because I, you actually know this story, Lottie. I was on set last week. I was, I'm working on a film production at the moment, and, <laughs> and I was talking, I've been talking about my family, and, and this person on set just turned to me and said, oh, is the, the kids with your wife today? And I was just floored. I just looked at them and I was like, me? Like the queerest, campist, most effeminate person out there. And she, and bless her, she just kind of was like, uh, well, um, she was like, well, well, just because you talked about having kids. And so we all kind mm. of like assumed. And I just thought how interesting, like still, the fact that I had children had completely overridden any kind of queerness about me because they'd naturally assumed that, I was a straight parent. It's so interesting. And it must happen to me all the time as well without me realising it. Like, I must be just misidentified, I guess. 
Yeah. And I wonder how many times that has actually happened in the past where actually people go, or even in that situation, maybe they were all kind of thinking like, you know, maybe he's some closeted person in the, in, you know, hiding his sexuality from his poor wife who has no idea that he's this big yeah. flaming queen. <laughs> oh my God. And how are you? How are you lot? I'm good, thank you. The thing I wanted to just have a quick like, gossip about, um, mm. and I know you're not watching it, so this is more of a gossip for our listeners who are, who are potentially watching the show Call My Agent on Netflix. Because there's a fabulous lesbian in it who I sort of model my style on called Andrea. And she is like the most cutthroat agent, celebrity agent in this show. It's French. They're in Paris. It's all like fabulous. But in the penultimate season, spoiler alert, she gets pregnant via a one night stand. She has this baby and then her girlfriend um, wants to raise the child with them so they raise it together as two parents as two mums it's really beautifully told and sensitive and really some lovely scenes but then in the last series these two women just turn into like the worst mothers ever to the point that in one scene Andrea just can't deal with having the baby and gets chucked out of daycare and then goes and just leaves the baby in daycare even though she's been chucked out and like runs away and leaves the baby there on its own. I was just like flabbergasted because one, there's not enough representations of like queer parents on TV. And then two, when they are, and I was like really rooting for this family, they just behave terribly. And I was just so disappointed that the, the, the sort of relationship and the family relationship was treated by the scriptwriters so flippantly. Oh, it's like when we talked about Mitch and Cam before in Modern Family, I, like who I, I defy anyone to disagree with the fact that they actually become just awful parents to Lily by the end of the <laughs> by the end of the seasons because mm. they're just like they just like she just annoys them and she's just this thing that's grown up. It's like they loved her when they were, she was this little baby and then all of a sudden, because she's growing into this woman. And I think if there were more representations of queer families on TV, we wouldn't notice it so much. But because there's Absolutely. so few, Absolutely. it would just be great to see a functioning, loving, good parenting family. So if you, listener, have any recommendations that you could share with, with Stu and I for examples of good quality or even look let's face it any kind of queer Anything. parenting <laughs> on television or in film or um or books. audio or books or anything please let us know because we're desperate to see ourselves reflected back hopefully in a positive light and talking of positive parenting stories so yes this episode we are talking and we are joined now by renee von medding who is fighting the good queer parenting fight out in ireland hi thanks for having me on hi renee so you and your partner are parents to two little gorgeous girls am i correct you are well they're gorgeous most of the time we have a four and a two-year-old. Ava is four and Aria, who is the boss in our house, is two. <laughs> yeah, I've got a two going on three-year-old, so I don't doubt it. Totally the boss. So let's go back to the beginning of your parenting journey with you and is it your your wife, your partner? My wife, Audrey. Yeah, so I guess we um, have been together for 13 years and when we started dating, I think we pretty much immediately knew we would have kids. 
we didn't necessarily think we would ever get married because at the time, you know, we didn't have equal marriage. Uh, but we always knew we would have kids in, in one way or another. And I think we, we kind of knew that we would go down the uh, route of doing some some form of fertility treatment. We were kind of at that point of feeling like we were ready to start doing that. Uh, we were kind of chatting and we hadn't contacted any fertility clinics or anything. And I think we were probably a bit drunk one night and, you know, we were like, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, one of us could carry a baby and we could use the other one's eggs because that way, you know, we'd both be really physically, you know, connected to the process of, you know, creating a child. And we were kind of laughing about it, but then um, we Googled it as you do. And uh, sure enough, you can do that. And we found out it was called reciprocal IVF and we were so excited. So in 2015, we booked an, an appointment with an Irish fertility clinic. We were told that they couldn't do it for us because at the time, Ireland didn't have, none of the clinics had a license to perform reciprocal IVF. So they said we could either do a standard IVF or IUI with my own eggs because we knew that I would be the one um, who would be carrying. So we either had the option to do that or the consultant said to us, look, if you really want to do this, I would suggest going abroad because I don't see that this is going to be made available within the time frame that you want to become parents. Um, so we went away that day and we were pretty disappointed just knowing that we wouldn't be able to access you know the the treatment we wanted in our own country and that was purely down to the fact that you were same-sex parents am I right is that yes and no I mean the issue with reciprocal IVF well number one any children born as a result of that treatment would only have a legal connection to one of the parents but aside from that the clinic's simply didn't have a license to do it. What I'm trying to understand is if it was a, say it was a heterosexual couple and say it was the the lady, the lady, say the female <laughs> had fertility issues and wasn't able to use her own eggs, so had an egg donor, um, would, would they be able to do that? Would they have the license to do that? Because You're absolutely correct in saying that that yes, that was completely fine to do. You know, you could do egg donation or sperm donation. Um, you could do both okay. um, as a heterosexual couple. So I suppose, yes, in a way, yeah. it was the fact that we were a same-sex couple. And, you know, from my point of view, it seemed a bit bizarre to me that if Audrey had been a man, we could go in and use, you know an egg donor and use her sperm you know it seemed the same to me you know using your partner's genetic material along yeah. with donor material um you know and that would have been fine it must have been so frustrating um to have heard that news it must have been so frustrating did you um did you kind of bounce back quite quickly and what were your what were your next steps where did you go yeah so i mean we're definitely the the type of couple and I for sure am the type of person who when I'm met with um, resistance of any kind I you know will just find another way so I think you know that night we were researching other clinics in other countries and we quickly kind of landed on Spain as the place to go Spain was the first country to start offering reciprocal IVF so they had been yeah so they had been doing it for a long time 
and we found a clinic in Barcelona that um, had been doing reciprocal IVF for years and years. So we booked a call and very quickly kind of just said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to go there. Um, We didn't tell anyone. So no one knew we were going for IVF treatment. Everyone thought we were just going to spend a month in um, Barcelona. (laughs) So we went and um, we had a holiday and we tried to make a baby, you know, as you do. And what was that experience like being in Barcelona as well in terms of noticing the difference to potentially like the attitude and how you were treated as a as a same-sex couple wanting to start a family the biggest challenge for us was the language barrier because the clinic we went to um our consultant spoke quite good english we we didn't have any spanish some of the people who would be drawing bloods or you know doing scans had no english and we had no spanish so there was a lot of communication with gestures and you know which is not ideal when when you're going through something like fertility treatment um Mm -hmm. so we we had just no idea what we were doing we didn't know any other people who had gone through the same thing so we were just completely shooting in the dark and I think that was the most challenging aspect of of doing all of that aside from then obviously having to travel and be away from home Mm-hmm. Um, and just hoping that it would all work. And can I just jump back quickly and ask, you said that you knew that you'd always carry. Um, could you talk to us about that conversation and how you decided that and some of the, the reasons behind that? So I suppose with us, it was always an unspoken thing before we got to the point of actually deciding and having that conversation. It was just an unspoken thing. I have always been the type of person who just always saw myself as pregnant I just always wanted to have that experience. Audrey, on the other hand, had zero desire whatsoever to be pregnant. The dynamics within our relationship, it just works well as well. Um, I'm, I have quite a high pain threshold. I'm also a type one diabetic. So I'm just, I'm used to like a lot of medical things. Whereas I think with Audrey, she wouldn't be quite as used to to all of that, you know. Isn't so that it just... great, just being able to make like such a like fantastically practical decision? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I suppose then there is the other side of it as well. Just um, very practically looking at who could take time off from work, whose job brought in more money, and it made more sense for Audrey to stay in full time employment. And for me to take time off and um, whether it was for, you know, during pregnancy or after the kids got here, it just made more sense from so many different angles, you know. And then after we had done it once that way and we had our first daughter, a lot of people said, oh, would you not switch around? And we just didn't, we never felt the need to, you know. And then a lot of people would also ask the question, well, do you not want to have um, a child that has your genes and honestly no like I you know our kids are our kids even if they weren't genetically related to either of us it makes no difference I don't see them in any way any less my children because they don't have my my genes you know but isn't that the beauty as well of reciprocal IVF in the sense that 
they grew in you as well. It is the best of both worlds also. So you both have that bond and you both have different bonds. And, and that's what family's about. It's about all the different types of relationships that people have with their with their parents. Yeah, we're so, so set on doing it that way. And I'm so happy that we were able to, even though it was a bit more difficult for us. I always say to people when they're trying to decide what's the right way for them to start their family, I don't think there is a right way. You just have to kind of look at all your options and figure out what's the right choice for you. Like there's no one way of being a family. And it's interesting, like talking to some of my lesbian friends and my own wife about reciprocal IVF and the reactions that it can get from some people. Like some couples are like, oh yeah, I totally do that for you. It would be the most beautiful thing to carry your child. And then other people I know are like, if I'm going through the pain and stress and trauma of childbirth, at least I want to see my genes at the end of it reflected back at me. So, you know, I think it it's it's an interesting dinner party conversation for lesbian couples and it can cause the odd argument. But I think it's wonderful that, that you both were. And just while I think of it, you mentioned that one of you was, would only one of you by Irish law was considered the legal parent. Can you talk to us about who that is? Is it the birth mother? Yeah, or is it yeah. The so under, under Irish law, the person who gives birth is deemed the biological mother of a child. So, you know, obviously that creates all sorts of issues for people who've gone through uh, fertility treatment or surrogacy journeys. Mm. And um, we had no idea that this was the case. We, you know, we got married when I was five months pregnant and we assumed along with I suppose the majority of the country that because we now had marriage equality that that kind of equality would extend to the whole family and we honestly had no idea what what lay ahead when I was you know I was due to give birth in August and we found out that summer when I gave birth only I would be on the birth certificate I would essentially be seen as a single parent even though I was married and even though my wife was the other parent even though they were it was genetically her child so many different layers of this and it was devastating like that was really really hard to take because there was nothing we could do about it and you know going to register her birth was one of the saddest days of our lives like I'll never forget how uh, devastated we were that day whereas most new parents will tell you that you know the registration day is one of the happiest mm. occasions, but for us it was just soul destroying to did go you both into. Go? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We both went um, when when it was Ava, and when it came to registering Aria's birth two years later, only I went because it just at that point we couldn't believe we were still mm. in this situation. You know, at least when we had Ava, we were kind of like, okay, well, by the time we have our next baby, there's no way. This well, could I would, still be happening. I would have been thinking, like, maybe if I just go to the registrar and maybe if I just explain it to the person that's filling in the form, maybe they'll just do me a favour. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, the registrar, it, it, was, it, was, it was an awful situation. She kind of said to the both, both of us, she said, which one, which one of you is the mother? And um, we're like, well, we both are. And she's like, no, no, I mean, which one of you gave birth? And I said, I did. And she said, okay, well, Renee, I'm going to be just directing all my questions at you then. And she didn't even look at Audrey, didn't acknowledge her, didn't even say, do you know what? I know this is an awful situation, but there's nothing I can do. It was something we will never forget. 
So then what did you do post that? Is there a way of having Audrey recognised as as a parent, as a guardian? Is that is there an adoption process? Is there parental rights orders okay. that you could do? So since then, with regards to adoption, because that's something people always said to us was, would you not just adopt them? I know you shouldn't have to, but would couldn't you just do that as, an, you know, just something? And the answer to that is, Technically, you can. There is um, an amendment to some legislation a few years back. Technically, you can do a second parent adoption. However, it's like a catch-22 because the Irish Adoption Authority will not process adoptions where children are born as a result of assisted human reproduction. And the reason they give for this is because they want to wait until there's some solid AHR legislation put in place. So while technically you can do it, they will not process an adoption of a child born as a result of AHR. Um, so that's just kind of a moot point. It's not possible at the moment. Um, with regards but, to, yeah, I know, it's just... I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my chin and just like looking up <laughs> to the sky. I'm just like, hang on a minute. Does that also, does that apply to any child that goes into the adoption system? They are only applying it to situations where it's a second parent adoption. So in right. the, okay. like in our situation or even a hetero couple who've mm-hmm. done surrogacy and the mother is trying to do a second parent adoption because under Irish law, a surrogate is considered the mother. With regards to guardianship, you can apply for guardianship. Anyone can apply for guardianship of a child. But in our situation to do that, you have to be living with a child for um, two years until you're allowed to do that. By the time Audrey was eligible to apply for guardianship for Ava, we had just had a new baby. And well, how can we apply for guardianship for one of them and not the other? Like, you know, so we, we never went down that road. When all of this was happening for us in the early days of Ava being born, we had heard that there was some legislation that had been passed in 2015 and it was called the Children and Family Relationships Act. And basically it was a piece of legislation that would allow for some same-sex female couples to both be on the birth cert of their child. However, in order to meet the criteria for that, you have to be a female couple, have done fertility treatment in an Irish clinic, have used an identifiable sperm donor and the child has to be born in Ireland. So oh if you... God, poor <laughs> you, what a nightmare. We took on a case against the state and off the back of that, they they decided to kind of change their interpretation of that piece of legislation and they have included reciprocal IVF in the equation. So technically we should be able to apply for like a retrospective recognition. Mm. So we are hopeful that at some point this year, we will be able to get a declaration of parentage for Audrey, for our two girls. However, we probably are going to have more kids and our embryos are not in Ireland. And if we choose to use those embryos and get pregnant, we definitely won't be covered going forwards Mm. so we could be in the situation where Audrey is recognized as a parent to our existing children but if we have any more she won't be god I suppose taking from this is like a great comfort in the fact that you obviously believe enough yourselves of course you do in your family for for this not to have stopped you 
for it to have not made you feel like okay our family isn't valid by law therefore we should stop even trying you're still you know you you had a second child and I suppose I'm interested in like how important the the legislation is for you on an everyday sense and how you feel as a family I would say it's hugely important and the only reason that we haven't ever stopped and haven't let it stand in the way of us is because we know it's wrong we know it's wrong that our family isn't considered as valid as any other family and we've just always known that we would continue fighting until all families are treated the same and I know that that will happen one day it's just been a very long road and I'm sure we still have a lot left to fight for. On an everyday kind of level, it hugely affects us. Like even just from an emotional point of view, knowing that we've had to fight for something that should just literally be a really basic human right and children's rights issue. We're people who wanted our kids so much and we fought so hard to have them and we put so much into them physically, emotionally, financially, everything. Um, and all we want is to be able to care for them. That's all we want. You know, we don't want anything more than what other people just get automatically. Mm. So frustrating. It must be so horrible for Audrey. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, all of you, but just particularly sort of I'm feeling towards her because I'm the non-biological parent of my daughter, and so I'm really, my heart's really going out to her and how I would feel in that situation. It's awful because, um, and it really creates like a, an imbalance just even within our own relationship Mm. um, that shouldn't be there because in every other sense we are such a complete team and we have done everything together for our kids and yet in the eyes of the law I could just turn around and say do you know what I'm going to take the kids and go Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What a lot that you guys have been through and, and that you're fighting for on behalf of like so many people in Ireland. I'm sure is so grateful for all of the work you're putting in. And it, it must have a real emotional toll as well on, on you and, 
and on your family and just ha- on your mind like constantly how do you manage like the campaigning element and just keeping sane and happy and okay in your day-to-day life um sometimes I don't manage it sometimes I have like I'm the sort of person who I kind of thrive on on chaos and deadlines and I have you know a million different jobs going at, at the one time and for most of the time that's okay and I keep going and going and going and then sometimes it just gets too much and I just have to throw it all down and say I'm overwhelmed by this and because it's such a personal thing we're fighting for um yeah it gets really really hard sometimes parenting at the best of time especially during lockdown and this current situation is pretty hard going I think to have all that on your shoulders and on your mind can imagine the the stress that that adds to the situation yeah, it really does. And it's just, um, it just gets so frustrating because it's like, how are we still here? You know, there are so many other things that I would like to devote my time to and so many other causes that I would like to be helping with. And and yet we're still here. We're still fighting for these kind of just basic protections. You know, I would like to be, you know, fighting for other things like trying to get funding for fertility treatment and you know, mm. better education <laughs> within businesses and organizations and schools for LGBTQ plus families. But yet we're still here, still fighting just for mm. like legal recognition. So in terms of gay male couples who may have gone through surrogacy as their parenting journey, like where does where do they stand within the law at the moment in terms of parental orders and and being able to be recognised as as the as the parents. So I suppose if we're looking at a pecking order of who has it worst, gay dads through surrogacy have it the worst, and their kids are the least protected of all at the moment in Ireland. You can't do surrogacy here. So anyone who wants to avail of surrogacy either has to go through a country like um, the US, Canada, the UK. Or if someone who has, you know, a friend or a family member who will act as their surrogate, um, obviously, you know, a person can still give birth here. So you could travel with your surrogate to the UK, for example, um, have an embryo transfer, use donor eggs, you know, do all that in the UK and then come back to Ireland. Your surrogate would give birth here. But under Irish law, that surrogate would be considered the biological mother and there's no way to change that. If she's married, it's a good chance that her husband would be considered the father. And you can go to court and the biological dad um, can get an order giving him parental rights. But the other father, the non-biological father, has um, no avenue to become a legal parent. They can apply for guardianship after two years. But as I'm sure you know, guardianship is not the same as being recognised as a parent and it ends when a child turns 18 and it leaves children in a really precarious legal situation because that's what it's about it's about protecting kids could I just move us away slightly from the the campaigning aspect which there's so much more we could talk about I'm really interested in just the nature and the dynamics of reciprocal IVF and how how that's worked for you and particularly I think a lot of our listeners considering it will be interested to know once the child's born sort of about bonding and 
parenting roles and and some of that sort of stuff that's something I find really interesting and I think that no matter what way you conceive and whether you're two women or whatever the kind of family setup is there is going to be a struggle there with kind of finding your balance as a parenting team and even if Audrey had been a man or even if it had been my eggs I think we would have encountered the same struggles that we did so you know when our first child was born me as the person who gave birth and I was breastfeeding and Ava wanted to be on me all the time and feeding all the time and I think I had a tendency to try and take over well I don't think I I definitely had a tendency (laughs) to try and take over and to think that my way was the right way and you know if things weren't being done the way that I would do them that maybe you know that wasn't okay and I think Audrey probably felt, I know she did because we've talked a lot about this, she felt kind of sidelined a bit and didn't quite know what her role was in those early days when, you know, I was the one who, you know, so much focus is on the person who gives birth and obviously making sure they're okay after the birth and everything. But um, yeah, Audrey, I suppose, had to just find her own way to bond with our babies and she did that and it wasn't easy it didn't just come naturally and I don't think because they were genetically hers that there was this you know magical bond there you know that's so interesting isn't it because that's something that a lot of people say is sort of to counter queer parenting and and to say that there is this magic as you put it brilliantly a magical kind of genetic bond Um, it's just not the case like I think for anyone when you give birth or when a new child comes into your life, they're little strangers. You don't know them. Mm. Like I look back on pictures of the early days of our kids and I'm like, I actually, I didn't know who you were and mm. you didn't know who I was. And we just had to kind of get to know each other. Yeah. Um, I know them intimately now, but you know, when they were it's born. So true. Yeah. Did you, Stu, with adopting, mm. did you find that when your kids first came home to be with you that they gravitated more towards one of you than the other just out of interest um yeah they've always been they've always gravitated more towards John I think just generally they have and I think we were and we were prepared for that in all of our training that there would be a parent that they do just naturally kind of navigate towards so for eight months it was both of us together with Mm. them I think the thing to explain it is that children like to attach themselves to to one parent they can attach themselves to both parents and they do but generally I my understanding through the different research and it's a bit fuzzy because it was a few years ago now but is that there generally is a stronger attachment between one parent and that's nothing to do with biological that's nothing to do with anything but the fact that, that there's just something in them maybe they see that they just are able to attach more to which I think people should really understand in any situation because it doesn't always feel great to be that parent that's the one that doesn't feel that they're yeah, god not attached I've been to, there but... for like two years just being like sidelined big time by my daughter she's only just now sort of come around to me but funnily enough the the only time sorry this is such a digression but 
the only time she's ever cried about me leaving the house was over Easter weekend when I'd been pretending to be the Easter bunny for like <laughs> four hours. And she was like, Mama, be the Easter bunny. And I would just have to be the Easter bunny and like hop around and do this stupid voice. And she loved me so much as the Easter bunny. And then I had to go out and she was devastated. <laughs> but it was because I was the Easter bunny and she wanted the Easter bunny to come back. I was like, are you kidding me? You, you prefer the Easter bunny. Okay. And I think it changes as well, though. Mm, I think, you know... In another couple of years, you may well be the favorite. Yeah, you know? I'm hanging on to that. I feel like it's going to happen. It definitely changes. Like mm. our, ours has gone back and forth quite a bit. Like our oldest is actually both of them at the moment are all about Audrey. And I just don't take it personally. I used to. And now I'm like, Do you know what? You can't, can you? No, you, you know? can't. And it does change. And with ours at the moment, they're changing daily, I feel. Like some yeah. days they're just so into me and it's so lovely and then some days they're just they just don't want to know like today tried to pick up my youngest son and he just was just not into it on a walk we were doing he just only wanted his dad that was it yeah so it, it happens mm. I wanted to ask about your extended family as well and have you got that support around you and how they've kind of felt about the whole situation um of both of you not being able to be recognized as the legal legal parents I think, you know, I think having kids in a very positive way changed the dynamic with both of our extended families. Audrey's family, she comes from like a big Irish Catholic family. There has never been any question of our kind of legitimacy as a couple or anything, you know, right from the get go. I was completely taken in and accepted and very much loved and supported and on my side of the family it was a little bit different in that I came from a born again Christian upbringing. I was raised to believe that you know being gay was akin to being a murderer so you can imagine when I started dating Audrey at the age of 21 it was like the worst thing in the world so to get to the point where we actually had kids, there was a huge kind of progression within the relationship, especially between um, my mom and myself. You know, for the first couple of years, it was very, very difficult. Um, you know, she kept thinking it was a phase and eventually, you know, we would break up. And I suppose having kids very much solidified the fact that we were not going to be breaking up. We were a family and now we were having kids. We were even more so a family now. And I think when we had kids, you know, before that happened, we had to just put very clear boundaries in place because we knew that when we had kids, there was no way we were going to be allowing anyone into our lives that was going to in any way put are, you know, our kids' parents into question as were they actually their parents or are you a real family? And they're going to get enough of that from the world. We just said there's no way we're going to let people who are supposed to love them, you know, trusted people in their lives who would kind of bring any sort of negativity into their little worlds. Mm. So we kind of just put really clear boundaries in place and we're very clear with my mom that, you know, we very much wanted her to be in our kids' lives. But in order to do that, you know, any personal opinion she had about the legitimacy of our family would have to be 100% kept to herself. I am really happy to say that actually my mom is 
our number one babysitter and one of their favorite people. And oh. I never thought I would be saying that, but I think um, kids can bring a lot of healing. You know, there are still mm-hmm. a lot of issues there. Um, but in that particular relationship, like our kids have definitely brought brought about a lot of healing. I think especially for anybody who's listening that, you know, that potentially has had those kind of issues with their family and has the idea of creating their own family as a concern. Actually, as you say, it's a great, can be a great healer. Finally, what is the next step with your campaigning and how can people listening help you? So we're actually recording this at a perfect time because we have just launched a new petition today um, and we, not, we, we need a lot of people power behind it. There is another piece of legislation called the Assisted Human Reproduction Bill, which basically is to legislate for everything else that hasn't been legislated for. So the main one being surrogacy, but also talking about non-clinical methods of becoming pregnant, um, using known donors, you know, lots of other kind of ways of having your kids. So this bill has been kind of tossed around for the last decade and has gotten nowhere. At the moment, in its current format, it's completely um, unacceptable what they're trying to legislate for. It's kind of a repeat of the last piece of legislation where they're making it very, very narrow. The criteria, they're talking about not recognising children who are, are already born. It would only be for kids going forward. So it's just completely unacceptable. So basically... We now have this list of recommendations, which includes everything that we're asking for. That has been given to the government and we have started a petition calling on the government to accept and adopt all of these recommendations into this AHR bill and then to progress that bill as soon as possible. So we need people to sign that petition. I think we need to get it to at least 20,000 signatures. The last time... We had a petition. Once it got to 20,000, that seems to be the magic number, at which point the politicians have to kind of respond. Okay, well, everybody listening, please, we'll put a link to the petition in our show notes and please um, go and sign it. I will go and do just that now. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been brilliant talking to you and hearing a bit about your campaign and also about reciprocal IVF and how it works for your beautiful family. Thank you so much. Lovely chatting to you both. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Renee, for joining us on Some Families. Wow, Stu, there is still a lot of work to be done, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Quite shocking, actually, the Mm. amount of work that still needs to be done. So, We are going to put all the links into our show notes. So please go sign them, go sign the petition and have a look at it and please share it as well. The work that Renee and everyone in Ireland is doing is fantastic. Stu, as ever, it's been a pleasure. You too, Lottie. Before we go, though, I would quite like to hear your Easter bunny voice. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Do you know, she's like a sort of like cockney, like, okay, what should I say? Why don't you give out the Some Family... Hello! If you like this episode, then um, email us at somefamilies at storyhunter.co.uk <laughs> I literally maintained that Easter bunny for the... I'm still having to do it, but I maintained it for about four hours on Easter Sunday... Oh, you sound like you're on helium. I, I love was like it. full in full like method. 
funny. That is amazing. Thank you for doing that for me right now. Anything for you, Steve. (laughs) So everyone, thank you for listening and please go find us on social media at Some Families Pod and share us, like us, comment us and tell your friends and family. Right, for now though, I am off to get a glass, a nice big glass of wine. Me too. And to sign the petition. See you later. Bye. It's still, that is bloody genius. This episode was produced and edited by Hattie Moyer. Some Families is a Story Hunter production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.